Welcome to your home for all things trending in sports. There goes Davis! Oh my god! Davis is going to run it all the way back! Auburn's going to win the football game! Auburn's going to win the football game! He ran the missed field goal back! He ran it back 109 yards! They're not going to keep him off the field tonight! From golf to NASCAR and everything in between, it's time for the Ben and Ben Show live on Com Radio and the Radio FX app. Hamler's got a 50, breaks a tackle far side 45. He's got Dotson in front of the 30, makes a move to the 25, 20, far corner 10, 5, touchdown Penn State, 58 yards, and the Nittany Lions are on the board again. Now for your co-hosts, Ben Jenkins and Ben Faree. Hello and welcome in to the Ben and Ben Show. I'm Ben Faree, joined with Ben Jenkins. And we're out here once again in the Innovation Park studios. We are having <laughs> we're having some fun with Facebook Live right now. Um, we're having some issues with that, but we're here live on the Com Radio and Radio FX app. As Ben tries to figure out how to get Facebook Live up, <laughs> yeah. he's having a fun time over here with the phone. I wish you could see it because it'd be very, very funny video over here. But yeah, it kind of seems like every time we take a step in the studio, something. Um, doesn't go quite the way that we want it to, but um, finally got all of our recording software ready to go here um, for the Ben and Ben show this week and got everything in here settled, got in here early for once. Um, you guys, if you're l- listening on the Radio FX app or on Com Radio, heard a great news broadcast before us. I do that before every Monday edition of the Ben and Ben show. Um, so they got out of here, we got in, and um, for some reason, Facebook not letting us hook up the GoPro that we use to uh, broadcast here from the cam or from the computer in the studio. But you know, this one might just have to be old school, Ben. If I can't get this figured out here um, while we're talking, but you know, even if that's the case, a good reminder that while we love being on Facebook Live, we love having you guys be able to see us and interact with us. We're also still available here on Com Radio. Um, that's our main home. That's where we started, and that's the reason that we're here in the studio and the Radio FX app as a part of that. And then um, if you're not listening to us right now, um, we'll be up, as always, on Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, all those different places, um, and that'll be coming up here moving forward this week. Yeah, but I'll handle this uh, show for a minute here while you uh, try to figure out Facebook. So today I think we're going to – Keep it to this college football again for the most part. Our little Braves fan over here is going to talk about baseball for a little bit. And if he seems a little distracted, it's not just because of Facebook Live. It's because he's trying to figure out what the Braves are doing right now on the TV. Um, if you hear a yell from him, that might be uh, something that's going on. But uh, we'll get into football here. Um, we're going to start as we normally do with Penn State football. They won again this week, 5-0 and on the season. And they handled Purdue, but... It looked like it was going to be a blowout. Ended up not being a blowout. It was kind of an interesting game, to say the least, against Purdue. Um, they really started right where they left off against Maryland. Jumped out to a 28 nothing to lead basically in the first quarter. That last touchdown came about a minute into the second quarter. But then from there, Sean Clifford threw an interception. And offensively, things just kind of fell apart from there. Yeah, it was kind of weird how that all kind of went down. You look at um, the way Penn State started. started fast. Kind of like they never left College Park. Um, that's kind of what it seemed like. They just kept the ball rolling. Um, they, Of course, we talked a lot last week how four touchdowns in the first four drives of that Maryland game, and if you're able to do that throughout the course of the season in games, you're going to be perfectly fine. And I think this was a great example of that. So Penn State doesn't play their best ball there in the second and third quarters. Um, struggle a little bit. I know I have it written down here. Not really sure why. We can get into that in a minute. Um, but, yeah, they start fast. You start with four touchdowns on the first four drives once again. You give yourself, you know, that lead. That's a big lead to have, 28 points. And then you trust this defense, which showed you once again just how good it is, Ben. Um, I mean, this is kind of one of those games where you expected Penn State to dominate. They did dominate. Um, just the score isn't necessarily kind of what, what I thought it would be. Yeah, I mean, from a sitting in the press box perspective, I mean, they started that game lightning quick. Purdue's offense looked abysmal. Their defense was having its way, and it was to a point where it was like, oh, boy, this is going to be a very boring game. 
Penn State's going to win 16 to nothing. And I thought, here's the statement. Like, I thought coming into this week, this was the week if Penn State could make a statement, Penn State could say something, that they are a contender, they are this big team, if they once again blow out Purdue like they were supposed to, have a fast start, yada, yada, yada. And I thought, oh, here it is. Like, this team is legit. They are so good, blah, blah, blah. And then things just got thrown off. I, I don't know. I think there's a couple reasons for it. I think one big one was that the offense basically, going back to the start of the Maryland game, the starting offense basically scored on every drive Mm -hmm. that they were in the game. And I think they mentioned it a little bit after the game. They hinted at it. They got a little comfortable. I think they got a little overconfident, a little comfortable. They thought they had it. They thought, no problems now. We can just cruise, and they didn't. You can't do that in the Big Ten. You can't really do that against any team in college football. So I think that was part of it. Um, but just in general, I don't know if they pulled back, got a little more conservative in play calling a little bit because it kind of seemed like that from where I was sitting. I mean, I don't know. It, it was weird, and it's something that we haven't seen from this team. We've seen them come out slow, fix it, and then close out games, and that's something traditionally we've seen from Penn State. I mean, the 2016 team was known as that second-half team. We haven't really seen a Penn State team under James Franklin start fast and then kind of fall off by the end of the game. Or at least I don't remember one off the top of my head that's been like that. Usually it's the opposite. Yeah, usually it's the opposite. So it was a little weird to see. I mean, overall I'm not, like, stressed out and worried about the state of their offense because of that. I, I just think it was kind of a reality check for them a little bit. And Clifford also mentioned after the game, that this was a good lesson for us to learn. He's like, it it was good that we got smacked in the mouth there a little bit. Like, we can't take anything for granted. So it gives them things to work on, and everything wasn't perfect, so to say. Mm -hmm. So I think in the long run, this will help them. It was just a little weird. There's not, like, one thing you can say, like, this is the reason, this is the reason. I think it's just weird. That's how I'll describe it. Yeah, it was almost like all of the – I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Like, all of the – um, relationship that they'd build up and like the continuity, I guess that's the word I was looking for. Um, you just, we've seen this offense week after week become uh, more familiar with each other, smoother out mm-hmm. on the field. Um, Sean Clifford really starting to improve in places and then Maryland being by far his best game yeah. um, as a starter. And, and he was okay. On I, I thought Sean Clifford played well. He was okay. I mean, it wasn't, he didn't get any better than he did no. against uh, Maryland. Like, there was no, okay, he's continuing his progression, but he didn't do anything um, really to hurt Penn State. I guess the one point, the one thing that you can really point to um, was the interception he threw. Yeah, I mean, I think deep balls in general yeah. still need a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, it'll come, I think. Um, I know he has the arm strength and stuff to do it. I, it's just not there yet. And that's expected, Which, yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think he's at a point where he is definitely trending upwards yeah that bye week helped him substantially and really he's been a different quarterback since that bye week even looking back to the Idaho game his stats were good blah blah blah, but he's just so much more confident and such a better player after that bye week I think there's a it was a definite shift there from him and this isn't in the show log and this isn't something that would come up um on a stat sheet in any way shape or form but the, my favorite thing I think so far about Sean Clifford is how cocky he plays. Yes. Um, because he's I, confident. I mean, Trace was, you know, Trace was Trace, and he did things his way. Um, you you didn't really ever see the cockiness out of um, Trace McSorley. He had his his home run swing celebration, all that sort of thing. But um, I think to be a quarterback at such a high level. Um, a guy like Sean Clifford, who you're coming in after Trace McSorley, who's broken and holds all of these Penn State records. I think being cocky can really benefit you, and it can really help you, especially in this day day and age. Look at guys like Baker Mayfield; like he was a, he's a cocky dude, and it, and it worked perfectly fine for him. And, and look what he's doing now in the NFL. Um, now, sure, you can overstep that, and it hurts the program, it hurts the team, and it hurts you as an individual. But I love Sean Clifford's cockiness right now. Um, you see him you know, take a hard hit. You see him get wiped out. He gets right back up, brushes it off. Let's go. Runs for a first down, gives him the point, you know, does the hand motion, celebrating, all that sort of thing. I absolutely love it because um, I think we've seen so far this year that this Penn State team is built on having fun. Yeah, they're playing, well, just in general, the whole team, they're playing with some swagger right now too. And it is extremely fun to watch. And they're very open about showing it. And I think that's good. That's awesome. I, I love that. 
um, that they're definitely having fun out there. Because that's the one thing at the beginning of the year that we kind of talked about when they were down at halftime to Buffalo. Um, this team, we, we sat in right here in the studio and said this team's not playing with emotion. They're playing just to go through the motions. Um, and to me, that seemed pretty obvious. But these last couple of weeks when you, you mix in the, the lawn boys chain mm-hmm. and Sean Clifford playing with the heart, I think he's starting to um, rub off on this team. Yeah. I think he's starting to rub off on this team. Every one of those guys sounds like looks like they're out there having fun playing football. And you know what? When you start having fun playing football, you play a whole lot better. Yes. Um, and so that's just what we're seeing right now, I think, as a whole. We have um, stats here to run down through. I know the running backs have been a big talking point, and I think they still were against Purdue. Um, and if you've paid attention on Twitter at all, I think the Penn State fan base has found a number one running back. I don't know if that's going to translate onto the field, though. Yeah, the the running backs are interesting. I'm tomorrow, or no, not tomorrow, Wednesday, I'll have an article coming out where I go very in-depth into the stats so far about the running backs and break it down and look at analytics and everything. I'm, I'm really going to dive deep into that because I think it'll be fun to do. I love doing that kind of stuff. But certainly, statistically, there was a gap on Saturday and in this running back rotation. It was the Noah Kane show. Um, 12 carries, 105 yards, almost 9 yards a carry average. That is insane. And he didn't have, like, a big run. His longest run was 27 yards. So it's not like he relied on an 85-yard run to get him those 100 yards. He did it with quality, hard-nosed running. But it's very, very interesting how they handle this from now because this is the second time now that Noah Kane has come into a game with the offense stumbling. Mm-hmm. He's come into the backfield, driven it down the field, scored a touchdown. This is the second time. He did it against Pitt. It ended up being the game winner. He did it late in this game against Purdue. That's the second time now, and I don't think you can ignore that. No, absolutely not. I, I've i really liked Noah Kane ever since he made that decision. You know, Penn State over Texas on signing. Uh, I believe it was on signing day. Yeah, it was. Um you know, since the time that he made that decision and you threw on his high school film, you said, okay, this is a guy who, first off, kind of, he gets it. Um, yeah. As somebody who's as talented as him, he sat as a second stringer in high school, um, you know, wasn't behind the number one running back in the country. He played at IMG Academy down there in Florida. So, um, but for somebody to be as talented as him, a four star running back, top 10 running back in the class to be a backup in high school and have to watch somebody else get all those carries while you're sitting here one of the best running backs in the country and you're not a starter um so he kind of understood the situation and that's why I think if anybody really enjoys I'm not gonna say enjoys if anybody really understands and buys into this running back rotation I bet it's Noah Kane um because he knows that I might not get every single series but when I get one series I'm gonna make it worth it and that's what you're seeing, and I think because of that, it is making him really hard to, to kind of pass up. And everybody wants to say, well, drop a guy out of here. You know, there's got to be somebody who can who can get dropped out of this group of four. And to me right now, I don't know. Part of me says, if you go just off of numbers, that guy's Ricky Slade. Um, he has not shown up at all this year, but um, you take away the Purdue game, which he had um this is it's not good he had four carries for two yards and he had one catch for negative one yard so Ricky Slade touched the ball five times he got one yard out of that um so that's not good for for any running back not all it's not all his fault it never is with running backs when you look at numbers um so much of it that's what I was just going to mention is it's not running it's tough with running backs because it's not always on them yeah and they've mentioned it throughout the weeks also that you you go up, you'll call a, a play, and you know Ricky Slade's in the backfield, and the defense gives him a look. They'll audible out of it, or it's a play where Clifford pulls it. Or so like there's time. It's not always on the running backs, but what I will say is that even when the blocking wasn't fantastic on Saturday, it seemed like Journey Brown, Noah Kane, Devin Ford found the hole and were able to gain yards, mm-hmm. and Ricky Slade wasn't. Yeah. So I, I think yes, it's not always on the running backs. But when, on a consistent basis, Noah Kane, Devin Ford, Journey Brown are finding those holes and Noah Kane, or, uh, and Ricky Slate isn't, I think that's where it becomes a problem. 
Yeah, and I think this whole thing's just made tougher by the fact that Ricky Slade, you know, last year was that guy. He yeah. was the oh, look out, this is the future here with yeah. Ricky Slade anytime Miles Sanders would take a rest. Um in Kind of to see it start going down this route isn't great. I wondered if he was injured at the beginning of the season. He just didn't look that great. Um, but now we're five games in and mm-hmm. plus a bye week. We're six weeks into the season already. It's hard to believe. But he just hasn't shown up yet once really at all. He's had a couple plays here and there. Um, and I think the two things that you point to that have been uh, Ricky Slade's thing have been pass protection and out running routes. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if he does either of those things so much better than one of the other three running backs where it you know it gets him onto the field and keeping that spot uh, because I just I don't think you can as much as it looks good and it's working right now just in the back of my head for some reason I still don't think you can keep doing this with four running backs all the time I think three maybe yeah three's fine but I, one of these guys you're gonna have to do something else with and I don't know if it's um something that I just randomly thought of and there's no science there's no data behind this so um, it could just be a complete random thought but maybe they get Ricky Slade out there practicing with receivers a little bit more maybe they you know try to work him in with KJ Hamler a little bit I don't know what it is but um, you know he, he's very talented there's no doubt about it I just don't know if you can keep doing this with four running backs yeah I, mean, I I'm glad you brought that up because that was my next point was throw Ricky Slade in the slot. But I think he could be very successful in the slot either. Because what Penn State's been doing with K.J. Hamler, it's been one of their token plays so far this year, is they motion him in front of Clifford before the play from the slot, and it becomes an option. And that play has worked to perfection because defense sees K.J. Hamler coming in motion, possible handoff to K.J. Hamler, linebackers suck there, Clifford has a wide-open field backside. That has been working to perfection throw Ricky Slade in there, throw him on some slant routes, throw him on some routes in the slot, I think he would be fantastic there. But the issue with that is you have K.J. Hamler. And Penn State's also running a 12 personnel right now where they have two tight ends on the field because Nick Bowers has shown, I mean, he was Penn State's, well, take away Jahan Dotson's incredible 72-yard touchdown pass, and Nick Bowers was your leading receiver in this game. So I Nick Bowers has earned playing time. You can't really take Pat Frymuth off the field. Yeah. So Penn State's been running this 12 personnel now with two uh, two tight ends. They also have a formation with two running backs in the game. So I mean, they're just kind of – I think their offense's problem is in order to be creative with Ricky Slade and get him into the slot and stuff, they're going to have to take other talented players off the field. And it's just – it's a it's really a lose-lose situation for this offense is that they have so many weapons – that it's tough to get more people involved because you're going to end up losing players from other areas. And the other thing you mentioned with about the four running backs where they can't keep doing it is I think you kind of saw that on Saturday because Ricky Slade only had five touches. And I, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm about 95% sure that he did not have a touch in the second half. I'm pretty sure that all those carries came in the first half. Now, I could be wrong about that. But as the game went on, it wasn't working, and you kind of saw Ricky Slade kind of fade away in that game. He didn't really play as big of a role. So I think you kind of saw Penn State do that a little bit, and I think that's what needs to happen with this running back rotation going forward is that you have your starter, they go out, they play, you rotate in, you rotate in, and then as soon as someone – makes an impact, whether it's Journey Brown on the first drive, whether it's Ricky Slade in the fourth quarter, as soon as someone makes an impact and you can see a bit of a spark or something like that, something along those lines, as soon as there's an impact made from a running back, I think you stick with them the rest of the game and make them the primary guy and then rotate other people in for rest and that kind of thing. I think that's what needs to happen with this. Give them all a shot. But as soon as someone makes an impact, stick with them the rest of the game. I think that's how you fix this situation. And, yeah, that means that there's going to be games where Ricky Slade gets three carries and doesn't really do much. That's There's going to be games where Devin Ford doesn't do anything. There's going to be games where Journey Brown doesn't do anything. There's going to be games where Noah Kane doesn't, any, doesn't do anything. But I think that's how you have to treat this. And that's what's going to give you the best chance to win, just in my mind. Yeah, there's, there's going to be some bruised egos um, if there haven't been already in that running back room. But this is not a problem in... Um, I know so many people are tired of talking about this, and 
Um, to be fair, you know, I I am a little bit too, but it's just such an important part of this team right now, and it's not something that's going away. Mm-mm. This is just the beginning for this issue. You're going to have this problem. Um, you know, all four of these guys theoretically could be back next year. Um, you know, if they do not find other places to play football, will be back next year. Um, and then you bring in two more top-rated running backs in this next recruiting class who will be freshmen. And um, both these guys, both um, Ricky Slade, or not Noah Kane and Devin Ford, they both burned their red shirts in this yeah. game. Um, we're not having anybody red shirt next year. Nobody will probably red shirt either. Um, so you go from this rotation, which is four right now, everybody stays. It's going to be a six-man rotation next year. So you think this is crazy, just just wait. Yeah, I, we'll end the running back discussion on this. I think what's going to happen this week is I think Journey Brown gets the first drive. And what we've been seeing is it's Journey Brown, Ricky Slade, Journey Brown, Ricky Slade, mainly in the first half, and then Noah Kane, Devin Ford come in. I think this week Journey Brown starts, gets the first drive, and I think you see Noah Kane come in as the second running back. And I think you see him get more used, and I think you see Ford and Slade kind of filter in more in the second half. I think that's what's going to happen this week. Um, that's just my personal opinion, but who knows what's going to happen. And when we preview Iowa here in a couple minutes, I'm sure the running back talk, I know at least for me, we'll come back briefly, um, but we'll try to try to wrap that up here and not talk too much more. Well, about, we have to talk about the Penn State defense. We do have to talk <laughs> about the Penn State defense. So let's go there right now, Ben. Um, I mean, this is the biggest part of this game. This has to be the biggest takeaway is – uh, everybody expected this defense to be really good coming into the season, but I think they're even better than people yeah. They've exceeded expectations originally. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you have it written down here: ten sacks, eight different players had them. Shaka Tony had three. He had two on the first two opening drives of the game. I mean, he set a tone for the team and for this game. I mean, Lamont Wade had eleven tackles. He had a sack. Michael Parsons had a sack. I believe Michael Parsons had five tackles. I mean. Just overall, this defense was lights, lights out. Um, they did have that one drive where Purdue kind of heaved some balls down the field, got some big receptions. Big plays are going to happen. You're not going to have a perfect week every single week. But, I mean, just looking at the stats for this defense, I mean, they're only allowing an average of 7.4 points per game, 240 yards allowed per game, and only 50 rushing yards allowed per game. I mean, that's just insane. This defense is so, so good. And the biggest question mark coming into the season was the secondary. Yeah. And they've been good. So, I mean, I this defense, we're going to have the biggest takeaway from Purdue here in a second, and that's where I'll spread out my hot take about this defense. But they are the real deal. Yeah. Um, you know, you talk about that secondary. Lamont Wade was in there big time. Yeah, he was fantastic. Uh, 11 tackles, just had a great day. He had a sack as well. Yep. Um, not really something you normally see is Lamont Wade playing safety in there on a sack. Um, but, no, you're right. And I think if you look at that touchdown drive that Purdue had that you mentioned, um, I'm not sure who was covering David Bell um, when he went up and got that 40-whatever-yard reception, nah, 47. It was a great catch. Yeah, and so I don't know who that was. But then on the touchdown throw, um, the only score of the day for Purdue, you had Joey Porter Jr. in there on coverage. That's a true freshman. So in there learning. Um, and, and I think if, if you're going to be okay with something like that happening, you're going to be okay with Purdue scoring a touchdown when you're up 28 nothing. Um it makes it a little better, and it makes you feel a little better to say, okay, well, that was a true freshman in there. Um, only his third game action of the season, I believe. I think he played last week as well. Um, so, okay, you know, you gave up a touchdown, but it was with a true freshman in coverage um, out there playing for only the second ever time in Beaver Stadium um, in front of a homecoming crowd of 106,000 people. So I think you can live with that. Yeah, I mean – they're just they're really good yeah. I, that that's just that there isn't much more you can say I mean the defensive line started the year not the best um James Franklin challenged them after the pit game since then they've been lights out the linebackers were terrible against Buffalo which a little weird but anyway they were terrible against Buffalo they were awful but since then they've been fantastic the secondary's been good all year I mean well I'll just get into it I'll say it this defense can lead Penn State to a Big Ten championship and more. Like This defense is that good that if the offense manages to do okay, this defense can carry them as far as they'll go this season. I mean, they are the real deal. I mean, they are one of, if not the best, defenses in the country. Yeah, and um, I think kind of the thing that 
made that like flash in my head this weekend. Like everybody knows this Penn State defense is good, but when James Franklin steps up to yeah. the podium after the game and makes a comment, I mean I wasn't there, I don't know the exact comment, but when he says that this is a a championship level defense, this defense is good enough as my Braves give up the run to tie the game here in the bottom of the eighth. Um, but when James Franklin comes up to the podium and says in front of the media, my defense is good enough to take us to a championship. It's a championship. He doesn't level say defense. things like that. No, that's you. You take that for what it's worth because James Franklin does not say that sort of thing often. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I James Franklin never says that ever about anything. Um, now I'm not saying that James Franklin's a mean, grumpy person that doesn't praise anything. He praises. But it's always followed by uh, we have a lot to work on. Blah, blah, blah. Like he'll he'll never say this defense is playing at a national championship level, and I think that shows just how good they they're, they're so good, and we'll really see it this week against Iowa, as Iowa also has one of the top defenses in the country, which it's conveniently time for us to take a commercial break. So I think that'll wrap up our talk about Purdue. When we come back from our break, we'll talk about Penn State's trip to Kinnick Stadium at night. It's time to get your groove on. The Ben and Ben Show is back now on Com Radio. Hello and welcome back into the Ben and Ben Show. Ben, I have to comment on that bump to bump us back in here. I absolutely love it. Fantastic. Uh, we found that music in the system. We were like, yep, that's the one. All right, anyway, <laughs> moving on to Iowa. This will be a fun one. Kinnick Stadium at night. Hawkeyes are wearing some very gold yellow jerseys like very gold like jersey pants and socks um it'll be a look they're having like their version of a stripe out crowd it's a big one and i wouldn't do their part last week to make it an unbeaten matchup but this game is a big one yeah and i feel like um you know i this is penn state's one opportunity i think usually throughout the year every other year um, to know what it feels like to come play in a whiteout, in a way. And yeah. I don't want anybody to attack me for that, saying that the atmosphere in Kinnick is just as good as a whiteout atmosphere because that's not what I mean. But um, for these big teams that roll in here to State College, that one big team a year, basically whether you're Ohio State or Michigan, whoever's on the home schedule that year, you know that you're not getting a normal game here. You're getting something completely different. And the last couple times Penn State's made this trip to Kinnick Stadium – that's been the situation. It's been their stripe out, which they do. I mean, a lot of schools can pull the stripe off out, off really well. Penn State does a pretty good job, um, although I do sometimes have an issue on the game they pick for it. Um, but Iowa does such a fantastic job with the stripe it's out. It's partially the colors, too. Like yes. The yellow and black just look really good as the stripes in the it crowd. It looks fantastic. That place is wild. Um, I remember, I don't know if it was on here or not, but um, – Two years ago, when they finished the uh, the stadium and closed in the one end zone, I said, "Oh man, this place is already a horrible place to go play." Um, and now you're gonna close off that end zone with two decks and just <laughs> Kinnick Stadium's horrifying. And I hope to get there someday. It's absolutely a horrifying place to play, and and that's the part of me that is nervous about this game because on paper I think Penn State, you know, matches up pretty well with the Hawkeyes. Mm-hmm. But you put this game at night in that stadium and oh man it makes you lose sleep yeah and iowa certainly does not forget the last time that penn state mm-hmm. went to kinnick stadium and that walk-off touchdown i i am i guarantee you that will be played around the iowa program this week and uh they don't remember that and i'm sure i'm sure they want nothing but revenge in this game yeah if i was kirk ference that would have been what i played um, when my team walked into the meeting room yesterday yeah. that or, or this morning, whenever that was, um, that's the video that I'd play, and that's the video that I would have going on repeat in the locker rooms, in the lunch rooms, just everywhere those players go, I'd be reminding them, hey, look what they did last time. They came in here, uh, whatever, Penn State was ranked pretty high that yeah. night, um, came in here and then walked it off with a touchdown at the end. Yeah, you're right. They don't teams don't forget about things like that um and and this iowa team certainly not forgetting about what penn state did last time they were in iowa city oh, yeah, and penn state needed every ounce of saquon barkley to win that game i mean he had an unreal game that was the game where he 
hurdled the guy, got hit in the midair, and just didn't move while he was in midair, which I still don't, that, that defines physics. I don't know how that happens. But he also recovers from a high ankle sprain in like a week, so yeah. the man's unreal. But they needed every single ounce of him and Trace McSorley to escape that place with a victory last time. And this time, they don't have Saquon Barkley. But I don't think Iowa is quite as good. I, I don't know what to think of this game. Coming in before last weekend, there was no doubt in my mind Iowa was going to win this game. I, I would was projecting that there was no way Penn State won this game in Kinnick. Iowa is good, but they really just went out and laid an egg against Michigan. And that offense was terrible. I mean, Nate Stanley threw three interceptions. Any time that Michigan got pressure on him, he just looked flustered. And I, I mean, I know it was on the road, so it's a different environment, but I think Penn State's defense is going to be able to cause similar problems for Stanley. And I think the, the, the way I look at this game right now on Monday is that Penn State's defense, Iowa's defense, both very, very good. They kind of cancel each other out in my head. Okay. And I think it's going to be offensively who can find the most success. And I think Penn State's offense is more talented. That's just, that's just the way I see it. So I don't know. I, this is a tough one for me. Yeah, I I kind of agree with that. And I see what you're saying. And, and I think there is something to say about um, the quarterbacks in this matchup. And, yeah. and you can say what you want about Sean Clifford. And, um, yes, we said this about the, the Maryland game, um, that that was Sean Clifford's big test because it was his first Big Ten road game, his first road game. Um, other than his couple one or two throws he threw in the Pittsburgh game a year ago. Um, but this is completely different because this is still a step up from that Maryland environment. That Maryland environment was great, but this is going to be even crazier. Um, you know, Penn State has this theme of playing teams on their Super Bowl, and I don't know if you want to say that for Iowa because um, obviously Iowa is still in contention to win the Big Ten West. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of things ahead of this Iowa team, but this is a big game for them. But I still think at the end of the day, knowing how unpredictable this is for Sean Clifford and for this Penn State offense, I still think I'd take Sean Clifford over a veteran in Nate Stanley, just knowing Stanley's track record in these big games. Yeah, I mean, I think so too. I mean, the way Clifford played against Maryland, and I will tell you, that was a loud environment. That was a wild environment. Um, There was a lot of hostility towards Penn State in that stadium and they just handled it with flying colors and it almost seemed like they got amped up and stepped their game up because of that environment um but anyways the Braves distract us um <laughs> but I think part part of the reason they played so well against Maryland was they walked in that stadium and there was chance that I can't repeat raining down yeah. on them the whole time that they warmed up and blah 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 and I think and that ticked them off, and they went in there, and it was business. And from the opening snap, they imposed themselves on it, on Maryland. And I think that's going to be the same thing this week. I think Iowa's just a little better. I mean, I think Iowa's defense will keep them in this game and make this ugly. It's going to be an Iowa football game. That's just the way Iowa plays. It's the way Iowa is. I, But, yeah, I, I you're right. Going back to what you originally said, I think Clifford does have a quarterback edge in this game. I, Penn State's defense is going to be able to get pressure on – Nate Stanley, and he's going to have mistakes. I I think that's been shown before. It's going to be shown now. He's going to make a lot of mistakes. It's just will Penn State also make mistakes? I think because you saw special teams. We didn't touch special teams with Penn State Purdue. Mm-hmm. Special teams were terrible. Yeah. Penn State ended up with three turnovers total in that game. Two were related to special teams. If you do that in Kinnick, you're going to lose. Yeah, that was the first time all year that special teams was a negative for this team. Um, there's been a lot of times this year where that's been the most impressive part of this team. And I think for some reason, for whatever reason, um, everybody on special teams struggled. I yeah. mean, K.J. Hamler lost yardage, I think, on every punt except for maybe the first two or three. Um, so, yeah, that drives me nuts. I, yeah, I don't. That's going to get me on a rant. Yeah, um, I, I don't know what was going on there, but just nobody on special teams are good. Um, Jake Penninger missed his first kick of the year in a field goal um, that would have been, put Penn State up 31-7 to going into halftime. Not that that really mattered in the end, but still, um, you don't like to see guys miss kicks, which I thought it was good from my position in the stands. looked like it went directly over the, the upright, but, hey, I guess they had a better viewpoint than I did. Um, but, yeah, so special teams didn't look great um, in that game, I think. They do have to rebound. That's kind yeah. of the bottom line. They I mean, have to rebound. It's mistakes like that 
that lose you games when you go to Kinnick. Yes. It's when your offense doesn't score for two quarters that loses you games in Kinnick. I mean, that might be a, not the great example because it's going to be a defensive game, but things like that, when you make mistakes, that's how you lose games like this. Penn State needs to play a clean football game. If Penn State plays a clean game, limits mistakes, limits errors, turnovers, sacks, so on, they win this game. They are the more talented team. They're the yeah. better team, but if they do things that can bring themselves down, give momentum to Iowa, keep them in the game, I think that's when this becomes an issue, and that's when they lose this game. Yeah, and I don't want to look ahead too far um, past this Iowa game because, you know, that's Penn State's whole thing is just, hey, one week at a time, let's go 1-0 this week. But if you look at the next three games on this schedule, you go to Iowa, you have Michigan at home, and then you head to Michigan State. This is the trouble spot that has plagued Penn State mm-hmm. these last two or three years. You, for whatever reason, whoever makes the schedules um, and puts Penn State in these tough three-game stretches that they do every single year, um, y- you have to get out of it, and you have to do it without mistakes because this is the year especially where um, you're better than Iowa is. You, you are. The environment's not in your favor. That's something you can't control, um, but you're better. So cut down on the mistakes, no mistakes, no errors, um, and you get out of there just fine. Same thing next week against Michigan. That's a team that you're better than. And then the environment, the pendulum swings in your favor. So you've got a whiteout crowd here, 7.30 kickoff. Thankfully, we learned that today. Um, Well, I don't know. Anyway. Well, thankfully, (laughs) probably. We'll get on that later. Probably not for you. But then you go to Michigan State, who's really down this year compared um, to what we think normally of Michigan State, I believe anyway. Um, so if there was this was any year, and Penn State's going to be favored in each one of those three mm-hmm. games, I think. Um, but no, cut down on the mistakes. I guess that's the point, really long-winded point. But um, cut down on the mistakes because if you eliminate mistakes, this is going to make a very interesting end of the season for Penn State because um, without those mistakes, everything's in front of you right now. Well, and it's funny you bring up the whiteout game because there is a possibility Penn State looks past Iowa, which is weird to say, and I don't, I don't think it'll happen. I, I think this team's too well drilled and mentally. I think they're fine to stick Iowa, Iowa, Iowa. But there's been a lot of buzz about this whiteout game about noon versus 7:30, and now it's announced it's a 7:30, and there's a lot of buzz around it right now, the whiteout game. But Penn State still has a game this week that is a very tough game. So I, I think there's a lot of buzz about that, and I know the program, as much as the players won't admit it, they look forward to that whiteout game every year yeah so i mean there's still a task to do this week and i don't think that'll happen but that is something you have in the back of your head is don't look forward to michigan right and i part of me though kind of feels like it's better that it came out today and there's a yeah get it out of the way there's a big hoopla about it today and and rightfully so you know this is really big for penn state um and i had that thought too this seems like a pretty bad distraction but i'd rather have the guys be distracted on monday than i would you're rolling into Friday. We haven't gotten a whiteout announcement yet. That means this isn't a night game. Yeah. Um, and then you've got people talking, asking James questions at practice, and um, just kind of rumbling on on uh, Twitter throughout Thursday and Friday and even Saturday about, oh, boy, when's whiteout going to be? Because you know, we haven't heard yet, and we know it's not a night game um, just because of the way the TV schedules work. So get it out of the way. I think that's what's happened here. Hopefully, like you said, Coach Franklin's number one thing is this whole Iowa, 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 one week at a time. And so, um, you know, if that preaching has paid off in any way, the guys, I think this team will be just fine um, on the road in Iowa. Yeah, I mean, we'll go to move on to keys of the game here. For me, this game lies up front with the Penn State offensive line. I think that is the emphasis of this game. They were very, very good against Maryland. Good enough against Purdue. There were some lapses there, but for the most part, played a good game. I think the offensive line, first of all, is pass protection for Sean Clifford. You saw against Pitt what happens when he gets under pressure. It rattled him. And away against Kinnick, it is definitely going to rattle him. And that's not a knock at Sean Clifford or anything. It's just if he has to run for his life every time he drops back in an away environment, that's going to rattle anybody. So I think the offensive line – in pass protection, but also in the running game. Also, because it's such a big stage, night game at Kinnick, I think you need the running game. I think this is the game where Journey Brown becomes really, really important. I think you need to get that running game going and get it going fast, especially as Iowa doesn't really give up anything 
on the ground. So if they can even trudge ahead for three yards of carry, four yards of carries, even small little gains just to break down that Iowa defense little by little, that is so, so huge. So I think for me, this game really lies on the offensive line for Penn State. They're not going to have an easy task at all. Iowa's defense is very, very good. They're a traditional Iowa defense. They are hard-nosed. They're physical. They will beat them up a little bit, and there's going to be lapses. Penn State, Sean Clifford will get sacked in this game more than once. It's going to happen. It hasn't happened the last couple weeks, but it's going to happen this week. And I think that offensive line, if they can play a solid game, Penn State will be in such a better spot than if they play terrible. Yeah, you're definitely right. And I I think I really like the the small ball kind of part of that that you mentioned. Um, whether it's a combination of of small throws for Sean yeah. Clifford, um, finding your tight ends um, for some reason, and I don't know if there's anything to this. Maybe it's just you know they haven't really gotten on the same page yet. But it looks like um, that Bowers connection for Sean yeah, Clifford I, has been better than him and Fryermuth have been so far this year. So not sure you know what's the reasoning for that. Probably nothing. Um, probably just something that I'm making up in my head, but. Um, certainly different than Trace McSorley, where every time McSorley was in trouble at all, he turned to the true freshman to bail him out. Um, but no, I think a mix of that, getting the ball to KJ, we saw against Maryland, KJ loves the lights, he loves the spotlight, he loves the, the nighttime games. Um, so getting the ball to him, small things, things that Clifford is comfortable with. Um, but for me, it's the fast start. They've started really fast the last two weeks, and it's paid off really well for him. You go up 28 nothing here against Purdue. Um, you do the same thing against um, Maryland, and then you just never stop. You just keep going. So if they can get that fast start once again this weekend, and this will probably be something that I bring up as my key to the game until February, um, <laughs> until the second week of January, whenever Penn State's finished playing there um, around that January time frame. But start fast because you start fast. That allows your defense to do what it does best, and that's yeah. pin their ears back and attack the quarterback, not have to worry. Well, we, you know, we came after him. You know, Brent Price sent the house, and we didn't get him. They gave up a long run or a big score or something like that. Well, okay, now instead of being down seven nothing or or you know ten ten whatever the case may be, okay, well now it's twenty one seven. We're still fine. Um, maybe we don't send the house quite as much, but but we're still okay. We can still play our brand of football, which, you know, proving off the Purdue game, their brand of football is just coming after the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, Penn State, defensively, I think they're going to have no problem stopping the Iowa offense. I mean, I could be wrong, but another thing is stopping big plays. Mm-hmm. If Iowa – this offense starts to get some big plays, big chunk plays. I think that's an issue for the Penn State defense this week is you can have them pinned down, pinned down, pinned down, but all it takes is one chunk play. Crowd's all of a sudden in it. They're in field goal range. Any points are going to be so, so valuable in this game. I mean, I was joking around earlier today that the final score is going to be like 4-2. to two. It's going to be all <laughs> safeties, no offensive scores. But, no, like any, any points in this game are so, so important. And as soon as you say that, it's chunk plays, special teams, whether it's field and that field position battle, the punting, the returns, you can't have muffed punts, ex- examples of that. We already talked about that. But special teams, chunk plays, those kind of things are going to play such a big role in this game just because of how these two teams play. It's going to be a low-scoring game. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be physical. So it's those little things that add up to big things in games like that. Yeah, and um, real briefly here, just kind of before we keep rolling on about Penn State, um, I think my key of the game for Iowa, and it's something that we've kind of touched on a little bit here and there, but it's definitely the running game um, because they had against Michigan um, 30 carries as a team for one yard rushing. Um, so that's for the whole game they were held to one yard rushing, and this is Iowa. That's not what you expect. Mm-hmm. You expect this Iowa team, you know, big mid- Midwestern Big Ten football, they're going to run the ball up and down your throat. And we've already talked about the issues for Nate Stanley throwing the ball and three interceptions last week, and I think that's – probably because they held them to one rushing yard. You know, when, when you're dominating a team yeah. that much on the ground, they become so one-dimensional, and, and if Penn State can do that same thing, then that even plays in your defense even more because um, you've got a one-dimensional quarterback who struggles in on the big stage. That kind of sounds perfect if you're if you're Penn State. But, um, yeah, that's, that's a thing for me. Um, looking at Iowa is they have to develop that run game 
somewhat, and it's not an easy task by any means up against Penn State, but if they want to stand a chance in this game, they have to develop that running game. And the 4-2 score prediction is pretty pretty interesting. <laughs> no, no, that's not my score um, prediction, but it, I was just joking around earlier. No, I. but the one thing for me, and I'm not joking around when I say this, is I absolutely think that the first team to 20 points wins. Yeah, I don't think anybody gets the 20. Really? Mm-mm. See, I think Penn State's going to score some points. I don't think they're going to be – it's not going to be a 40-point game by Penn State by any means, um, I don't think. But I do think they're going to score points because um, – I think this defense, or I'm sorry, this offense is still a step above what Michigan's got going. Uh, Michigan. Well, Jim Harbaugh said they're hitting their stride offensively. Well, if ten, offense. if 10 <laughs> points is their stride, I can't wait to see them stride into Beaver Stadium. Um, <laughs> it means other teams are running marathons out here. Right, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I know they had that big game against Rutgers, but most teams have big games against Rutgers. Um, so. Sorry, distracted by the Braves once again. They just threw the ball in the dugout in the ninth inning. That's fine. Um, but, no, the first team to 20 wins. I lost my train of thought completely. Um, first team to 20 points wins. Do you want to do a score prediction here? I know yeah, you, I have I one. Know, I have oh, one ready do. this week. Yep. Okay, let's do them then. I came in here prepared this week. I thought about it before I came, and I'm going to go with it now and stick with it all week. Okay. So, I think Penn State wins this game. I'm going 17-13. Okay. 17-13, you're right. You said nobody gets to 20 nope. points. You're going to stick with that. Um, I'm going to have to pick up the paper here at the end of the week to see if that's still <laughs> no, your score with prediction. It. I'm going with it. Um, mine's a little bit bigger of a margin. Um, you know, this Penn State team has fooled me before with picking big margins, and then they come out in a one-score game against Pitt. Um, but I just don't think, for as little as we know about Penn State, I kind of feel the same way about Iowa still. Um, they won a close game against Iowa State. Yeah, that game concerns me with how good this Iowa team actually is. And then going to Michigan and struggling as well, that does concern me. But I do think the difference here is that it's a home game for them. Yeah, I see that. Um, But, yeah, it's kind of – they won a tough game against Iowa State, as I was saying, against a team who we found out since isn't really that great. Um, And then we find out what they do here last week against Michigan in a game that – if Iowa would have won that game like I expected them to in the big house, like I fully expected um, Iowa to roll in there and beat up on Michigan, uh, but they didn't do that. And so that, I think, all points, you know, maybe it's creating the uh, the excitement. Braves update, tied at four, man on second for the Cardinals, one out in the bottom of the ninth. Um, but I think that all kind of maybe plays into Iowa, and oh, we're going to pull the upset this time. We're finally going to do it, but I don't think it happens. I think Penn State wins 28-10. to 10. Um, They get that start, that fast start, not that start fast. Um, they get that fast start. They get a couple scores on the board. Iowa does fight back because, you know, the home crowd's got to be worth at least 10 points, right? And then um, Penn State closes out in the end. Heavy dose of Noah Kane just because he's the running back where on the runs where Ricky Slade and Journey Brown and, Noah, or, and Devin Ford get three yards he turns that exact same play into a six yard gain Mm -hmm. just by running hard and falling forward and so I think the coaching staff will notice that in this tough environment they'll run with him he'll be the hot hand he'll fall forward for six five six yards every single play and he takes Penn State to a 28-10 victory well there you go you heard predictions from us I think it's the first time uh, we've both given a prediction I normally hold out because I don't know what I'm doing but I, I, I I thought about that before I came I was driving here and I thought about it in the Maryland game, I was too afraid to make a prediction. Um, <laughs> well, that one. Just because. Well, because of what happened. <laughs> well, and I had no idea. I mean, I think you could have honestly, going into that game, flipped a coin heads or tails um, on what was going to happen. And so. Yeah, I was talking to one of the Maryland student reporters before that game, and I was like, I have no clue. I was like, I would not be surprised if Maryland wins in a blowout in this game. Like, I had no clue what was going to happen that one. Anyway, Ben, you want to talk baseball? Yeah, we can quickly do it. This I is, mean, you're kind of stressed out right yeah, now. Yeah, this so. isn't good because, you know, they... Two outs, man on second. It wouldn't be an Atlanta Braves game. I'll just say this real quick. It would not be an Atlanta Braves game without them either coming back like they did last night, down two runs with their last out in the top of the ninth, um, end up scoring and winning that game somehow. Or Actually, I'm sorry, they weren't down two runs. It was one nothing, and they scored... Um, three runs to make it three to one or whatever it was. I don't know. I was just so stressed 
watching that game. They waited until the very last out of the ball game to go ahead and do that. And then you get your lead a little bit earlier tonight in the sixth or seventh inning, whenever it was. And then in the eighth, you let them tie it up, and um, you're headed here bottom of the ninth, still trying to get out of it with a runner on second. But So always stressful um, in a typical Atlanta Braves fashion. Can't have anything nice happen the easy way. Um, but we've got a lot of good baseball on right now. And this is, I don't know what the last year was. Um, I know I'm rambling, and, I, and I'm, I apologize for that. But this is the first time in a very long time where every single series can end tonight. You've got the two American League series are both 2 nothing. Of course, this is the best of five, so the first team to three wins. Um, you've got the Astros up 2 nothing. You've also got the Yankees up 2 nothing, And then you've got the Braves up 2-1. And you've got the Dodgers up 2-1. Los Angeles, that game started at 6-something, 6-30. It's 1-0 right now in that game. Um, If you're looking for it on TV, TV, TNT, um, because this Braves game is running long. But, yeah, so there's good baseball on right now. I think the uh, we don't talk about it much on this show. We'll have to talk about it a little bit more moving forward with the uh, championship series starting up, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, I heard today just through Atlanta Braves Twitter that the NLCS game one is on Friday. So I don't know if that changes any, um, depending on if they have to go back to Atlanta for Probably. another game of this series. That might push that back. But um, if Atlanta gets out of this one tonight, the NLCS begins on Friday. So that means we'll have a couple games in of that by the time our show comes around next Monday. So look for some baseball talk coming up in the near future. Um, a little bit of a discussion we can have I think would be cool with who's better, the National League or the American American League, because I think the depth of the NL is much better, um, but the the top of the division with the Yankees and the Astros and the AL much better. Um, so we'll see how that matches up. But we're going to get a lot of clarity before then, um, whether these boys from uh, Hotlanta can, can, you know, pull this one off and get another run on the board, or if they blow it right here, uh, right in front of our eyes. So we'll see what happens. But um, baseball season winding down, the really exciting part of the baseball season coming up for us so just kind of excited to to see the last legs of baseball season before we get into the cold weather yeah i admittedly don't watch a lot of baseball and it is the one thing that i just don't make time to do but that being said there is great playoff baseball on now and i will begin to watch some (laughs) baseball as it goes on it's also because i like the mets and they get your hopes up in the beginning of the year and then they stink and then it's the same thing every year and then right before the end of the year they're really 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 good and then they always miss the playoffs by like a good game or two. That's always what happens. But on the hunt for a new manager. Also on the hunt for the new manager. But before we leave, I do want to mention something. The Jets played the Eagles yesterday. And even though the score says they lost, 31-6, to the Jets won that game because they scored an offensive touchdown. And that was their first offensive touchdown since the opening week of the season. So the Jets won, even though the score says they lost and the record says they lost. And all the Eagles fans around here said that they lost. The Jets really won that game. All right. (laughs) Emotional, moral victories apparently here on the Ben and Ben Show. Not sure how I feel about that one, but we will leave it for next week's episode. Thank you for listening in. Thank you for dealing with us throughout the technical difficulties. Um, For Ben Furry, I'm Ben Jenkins. Remember, two Bens are always better than one.